Welcome to the Amy Podcast, produced by the Association for the Advancement of Medical Instrumentation, in partnership with the studios of Healthcare Tech Talk. Hello and welcome to the Amy Podcast. I'm Terry Baker. And I'm Kelly Hill. Uh, we are live for this special edition of the Amy Podcast. We're at Amy 2015, mm-hmm. and we've been taking in some great sessions today. Absolutely. Some great sessions. And this one's no exception. Yeah, we just finished up a session called Digital Health, Bridging the Gap Between Promise and Reality. Or, according to his slideshow, Hype and Reality. <laughs> hype and Reality. <laughs> well, there you go. So we have a great guest with us to uh, discuss this particular topic. We do. We have Dr. Gunnar Tromer. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Excellent. So do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and what brought you to the Amy conference? Absolutely. I've actually been working with Amy over the last five to six years or so. So mainly in the context of uh, digital health, wireless devices, alarm management, etc. So I was on some of their um, committees, their working groups. Um, I'm very passionate about digital health. So, so I've been working in that field for the last 10 years. Uh, I came at it through consulting, then uh, when and where, where I consulted mobile operators as well as uh, medtech companies, then went, went into medtech, uh, managed the patient monitoring on a global basis for a larger monitoring company, and then went to a startup in San Diego for the last six years, Soterra Wireless in, in San Diego. And then right now I work with uh, BCG Digital Ventures in Manhattan Beach. And uh, what I do there is I'm, I'm responsible for healthcare, for digital health again. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we build products as ventures together with corporate clients in the pharma space, in the medtech space, provider, payer space. I think what most people are probably interested in, particularly the listeners of the Amy podcast, are the gaps in digital health delivery and where we're having complications, which you thoroughly spoke about uh, in your session. But just briefly, can you sort of lay out for us how digital technology is fueled disruption and what the current landscape is? Yeah, that's a that's a loaded question. Sure so, it is. <laughs> uh, over the, I would say... Over the last 10 years or so, there have been probably 10 different names for what, what now is, is coined connected care, digital health, etc. So there are mHealth. There's so many different names along the way that, that uh, have popped up and either stayed or gone to the wayside. But I think digital health actually, actually captures it pretty well because it is the utilization of digital technologies in a health or healthcare context. Right. And that can mean different things. It can mean that you apply digital tools to engage with patients uh, or with consumers, depending on what end of the spectrum you're in. So uh, that's the health versus healthcare, Right. So it, it goes from the fitness, wellness, prevention side all the way to acute care, end of life care. Right. So it, it can play a role in any of those. Um, and it also touches all the different stakeholders in the system. So it goes from the individuals to the payers, to the providers, to the medtech, to the healthcare IT companies, to the pharma companies. So everybody is somehow touching digital technology to, in, in essence, provide better, faster, and more accessible care at lower cost. 
And so given that description, would you say that that's kind of the, um, what you referred to as the digital ecosystem, or is that something different? In a way. So, so there, there's, there's an ecosystem, and you can define that from a, from a business perspective, right? So those are the players that I kind of listed. So they all have a role, but there's certainly also more a technical ecosystem, right? So the, those are the kind of the wearable devices, Internet of Things, so multiple kind of connected devices at the front end. Then you have cloud-based architectures somewhere in the middle. You have analytics. You have... Um, um, then, then the uh, intervention, so this can be, again, digital technologies like messaging, emailing, uh, video conferencing, uh, voice calling. So even that is digital, right? So, and, and th there's, there's a technical aspect to that and, and uh, an economic uh, business aspect to that. I led you right into that. So yeah. Did you see how I did that? Well, to give our listeners a scope and how fast this is coming at us, I think you said there were venture funding and digital health had reached $3 billion in 2014. Four. Four billion yep. in 2014. Yeah, there were 30. That's actually that, that was that was old. So that was uh, <laughs> some old information. So 30 new devices last year cleared by the FDA. A hundred or so pending this year. Expected right? this year. Yeah. So it's coming at us fast. Yep. And that is making up this uh, digital ecosystem we're talking about. Yep. It is. It is happening. I mean, again, when when you've been in that in that sphere for uh, a while, it's always the oh, this year was kind of the, the, the year zero and next year it's going to happen and then it didn't happen for the next three years. But but the indications are so strong now that it's actually turning, right? Mm -hmm. So so you have about a million patients being taken care of via telecare in the U.S. So that's that's a lot considering uh, where it came from. It was a few hundred thousands uh, just a few years ago. Um, you, you mentioned the number of devices that actually get FDA clearance as a medical device. So 30 this year, uh, 30 last year, and, and uh, expected 100 this year. Um, you also have other other numbers. How many wirelessly enabled health or healthcare devices are, are being shipped? I think the number in the first quarter this year was 11.5 or so million. So those are big numbers, right? And, yeah. and it becomes economically relevant and it also impacts. So roughly a quarter of all Americans have a wireless health or healthcare device. Whether they use it, it's a different question, <laughs> but they, they, they own it. Yeah. Well, and these are, they're, they're very big numbers, but ideally the focus is personalization of the interventions we're looking to achieve with these, is correct? I totally agree, yes. So the the value that i think digital can bring is to drive more timely and more personalized care or prevention right so ultimately it's it's always about changing behaviors whether that's in acute care or in a kind of preventative care uh, health setting right but but ultimately it's about driving people to change their behavior to eat better to exercise more to take their pills just to do the right thing, right? right? And, right. and it depends on the on the setting you're in. But digital can be an enabler to gently remind you, to send a trigger to someone who reminds you on a more personal level if that's needed, uh, to give you information to make better informed decisions. Um, so there are so many different ways in how that can play out, but it's always about that behavioral change that you want to achieve. Absolutely. When you were presenting, uh, you had put smart connected devices uh, on a linear slide at the monitoring end. Do you feel like smart connected devices actually loops around and but touches on the prevention uh, part of that continuum as well? I'm not sure I understand the question. <laughs> so <laughs> wearables. Yeah. We talk about wearables inside of the digital health spectrum. Yeah. Uh, 
and we talk about monitoring at home for chronic care diseases. Yep. Um, and we talk about the alerts that they can generate and, and the, the processes that that takes us through. Do we see that those things more as a monitoring system or do we see them coming back around and being used for prevention as well? Hmm. I see. Where Does we that go. make sense now? I apologize. I, I hope I got it. So, so let me let me try. Um, there are there are certain wirelessly enabled devices that uh, will only play in the acute care in the healthcare space because there's a certain level of accuracy needed to be viable in that space, right? So, if you don't have that, if you don't have for example, if you only give me heart rate, but you don't give me uh, an ECG, I cannot use it for cardiac patients, right, in the same way. So there, there's a certain level of specificity, accuracy, uh, and, and also resolution of information, right? And that's, that's actually an engineering challenge. So if you, if you make the device wake up and, and process something every millisecond, that obviously drains the battery much faster, and you can only use it for a few hours to a day, right? If you do that every minute or every hour, uh, then you don't have that resolution, it, but but the battery life is much longer. So and the trade-off there is it, right now it's really an engineering trade-off. So you you basically design for different applications, and sometimes you have devices that um, you design for acute care for true healthcare applications. With that in mind, and sometimes you design devices that are much more on the I wear it, it might not be 100% accurate, but I get some information, and if it's trended, it still gives me valuable information to mm. change my behavior, right? Yeah. So there, there's a whole spectrum. I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all device. I do think, though, that the home devices or the devices that are used in the wellness prevention context now eventually will be so capable that they will make it back in the healthcare. But I think we're probably five to 10 years away from that. Do you attribute that to why personalized health tools don't have sustained use? The way, the way I would describe it is you need to strike that balance between effort that I need to put in to use something mm -hmm. And the relevance, what do I get out of it, right? So, so there, there's, uh, there's, there's truly that balance. And if I don't have to put much in, my expectation with respect to the relevance is might, maybe not that high. And I might use it if, it if it's not in my way, right? But if the device requires me to go out of my way and change my daily routine and I don't get much back for it, uh, I probably won't use it at, as much or as sustained, right? And, and so what, what we're seeing still is if, I, if, it's, if it's cumbersome to pair a device with a companion device, if it's cumbersome uh, to, to look at trends, if I, if I need to load data versus it's already there, if uh, the, the application only works, if I type in data manually uh, to, make, to make sense of what I'm trying to achieve, this is additional stuff that I need to do. And everybody's busy, right? So you better give me good value back for that so that it's relevant for me. Otherwise, I'll, I'll do it because I'm curious for a few weeks, maybe a few months, but then I'll stop. Right. And, and that is that is a balance that need to, needs to be defined. It's, it's very personal. Some people have a different threshold for that. And, and they also have different things that are relevant for them. Right. So it's a very, very personal um, threshold that needs to be defined. And, and once you have enough people who find it relevant, then you will see sustained use. Well, and talking about people who find it relevant, I, and I was wondering if one of the barriers isn't practitioners who aren't interested in having your personal data or being inundated with, you know, lists and lists of numbers that you've generated with personal health devices. Yeah, you're touching on a on a critical point here, I think. So um, 
One is the, the the good news is that that digital technology through smartphones is becoming more and more a standard, right? So uh, it's almost like uh, the 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 stats are every U.S. citizen, cradle to grave, right? Yeah, yeah. is um, basically owns a smartphone, right? So it's it's hundred per hundred capita, um, and and that is that is amazing when when you think about it, right? So uh, obviously there there's there's a there's a bulk here in, in the stat for, for the younger population, right? So you don't find a smartphone for everyone 70 and above. But even the aging baby boomer generation who is retiring now, who's 65 and in Medicaid, Medicare um, uh, insurance coverage, they are becoming more savvy in the usage of those types of technologies. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And that, that has a big impact on, on how that technology can be used, right? Because they are, they are accustomed to that. You don't need to train them to do it. They already have a device which reduces the cost. So you don't need to infuse additional devices into the healthcare system. The computers are already there and you basically plug on an app or a sensor onto those devices. They're very capable. Mm-hmm. My perception is, and things that I have heard, because I I do practice in the healthcare space, uh, is that physicians want patient engagement, and they are trying to achieve that through portals, through smartphones, through various devices. Simultaneously, I hear it's too much data. I don't need pages and pages and pages of things that are irrelevant to my patient's care. I heard that uh, many, many times as well. Don't give me more data. And and there's even a trend that more data actually numbs you to what is truly mm-hmm. relevant. So so in alarms management, sure. it's, it's, it's alarm fatigue, yeah. right? So you don't even respond to the alarms that are truly meaningful and actionable, right? So that's that's a problem, obviously. Digital has a potential solution for that, which is coined big data analytics, right? right. right. So um, it's that is still in its infancy, I would say. So, uh, But the potential of, of that type of analytics to distill a lot of data down to something that is truly meaningful and actionable yeah. so that people what 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 I experienced having been on the monitoring side is when you give 10 alarms to a nurse for example and out of the 10 alarms only one is actionable the nurse will probably not respond to that alarm anymore because the other nine have have changed the behavior on how to deal with technology to an extent that it's it's becoming meaningless, right? Yes. So it, it it better has a, a very high specificity in terms of what it what it means to me. And once I it's 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 a matter of trust almost, right? So once I have trust in the technology to give me something that makes sense for me, that mm-hmm. has meaning for me, right. then I will keep on using it and I will will use it more because then it makes my life easier. Right. So we have to get out of infancy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that brings us more onto the, I think, the theme of the overall uh, presentation today is we have all these great technologies and a need for this meaningful data. What are the challenges to digital health adoption? What are those big challenges that are slowing us down, keeping us from um, taking full advantage of it today? Do you have an hour? <laughs> well, um, maybe highlights. Yeah. What are some highlights of the uh, challenges? Um, there are a number. So um, to highlight a few, so I already talked about the kind of that balance between relevance and effort. Mm-hmm. Right. So to me, that's that's one of the key things, and it touches every stakeholder, right? So and and what is relevant is different by stakeholder. So relevant to a patient might be totally different from what is relevant for the nurse, what is relevant for the for the physician. And if you have an ecosystem that ties those three together in a meaningful healthcare context. You need to hit the relevance for all three to make it work. And the payer. 
the obviously the money plays a big role. So, so that's that's one from a from a but from a pure usability perspective and and relevance perspective that is key. And and we don't have many of those yet, right? The the second point you're touching on is is money. So uh, I'm I'm a big believer in follow the money, and you you need to play within the incentives of the current financial system to get a business model going, right? So if if you are if you're kind of betting your horse on something that is not there yet it's probably not going to give you a, a viable business model for especially for startups right sure. so you need to you need to bet on a horse that's already in the barn and not not might be in the barn in 2 years from now right <laughs> um and and so business model is another big one so so how do you find the incentives to be risk sharing between all the players right it's happening in the aco model between payers and providers but i think pharma and medtech needs to come to the table as well and take more of a risk sharing approach to healthcare and not just say you pay for my device and then we'll figure out whether it works for you or not and and so that that's another one and then there are also some implementation slash technical hurdles that, that I think we need to conquer. So mm -hmm. given how fragmented the healthcare system is from a healthcare IT, but also device perspective, uh, there are very good technologies out there that allow you to have interoperability between devices. It's just not used in healthcare like it is in other industries. Because we're always five to ten years behind, is that what you were saying earlier? Yeah, so I, I can I can put my my credit card in a slot in Japan or in the U.S. or in Spain, and money will come out. I know that, right? <laughs> right. Uh, but in healthcare, uh, nobody in Spain, if I have to go to a doctor, will know anything about me. Uh, I'm I'm not proposing that we need to get to that level, but if I'm insured by one insurer, and I go to healthcare providers in my region. I would expect that they know my medical history. I would expect that they know anything about me that is relevant for clinical decision-making, and we're just not there yet. Yeah. Right. right. And then you talked about data quality. I liked that particular aspect as a hurdle or a barrier. Yeah, again, to, to make kind of the, the transfer from, from other industries, if you, if you think about how linear and, and specific the linkage between the inputs and the outputs is in other, other industries, right? So I know what button you pressed on the ATM. I know how much money you wanted. And I know that this money came out and I know the number of your credit card. So it's a complete linkage, right? So there, there's no gray zone in there right but if you get to interpretation if you get to diagnosis if you get to also putting in the wrong data in the wrong field that skews up the the, the data that we're trying to use for analytics right. and uh, i can't i can't give you a, a specific number but numbers that i heard reported from people working in that field is that they believe 30 to 40 percent which is a high percentage of the number uh, of, of the data that they're trying to use for artificial intelligence, for decision-making, basically, is flawed, yeah. is, is incorrect. And if you use that data set for training your algorithms, you will not get a good outcome, right? And, and so that linkage between the inputs, be it biosensing information, be it diagnostics, be it medical history, and the outcomes and link that with the, with the financial data, that linkage doesn't work so well. I think we're furthest along, I think, in the linkage between treatment and the, the, the financial data. So this is also what, what HIE is doing, right, with, with the exchange yeah. of that type of data. Mm -hmm. But I think in terms of true symptoms, other parameters like uh, biosignals to outcomes to really link that and drive preventative care, we're, we're quite a bit away from that still. Now, I hate to be Mr. Obvious, but is this problem with the input data because of we have such a manual process of inputting the data or 
are we getting bad information off of, you're talking about biosensors, that seems like an automated way of getting the data. So I'm surprised we'd have a lot of trouble with that. If everybody would be using the same uh, monitor and, 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 mm -hmm. and the interfaces were structured that way, I would very much agree with you, but that goes back to the fragmentation in the healthcare system, right? Yeah. So we just don't have long longitudinal data across different venues in care uh, because where we're lacking that piece of data, then that piece of data is maybe normalized in a different way than, than another piece. Uh, there, there's certain bias in the data. So you can't just rely on a monitor spitting out the same data versus another one, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it's, there, there are many, many issues. This is just to highlight one tiny little aspect of that but mm -hmm. i hate to backtrack too much but you're talking about you know adoption and and the, the consumer adopting the technology and we sort of talk about you know not the, the wearables that are available today so we'll use a generic term wearables their batteries run out quickly maybe they're inconvenient they're a little too much work to get your data into because there is some manual work to be done Today we were at the at the Amy conference. We took a look at an EEG machine from 1970, and it looked like something out of you know young Dr. Frankenstein or something oh, like that. No and it doubt. was just amazing. And it got to me to thinking: Are there is there going to be a a time in the not too distant future where the wearables we see today are equivalent to that that uh, EEG machine to the future? And you showed uh, some pretty neat uh, patch type sensors. How far along are those? And and so right now we're still in, in the space where we have relatively small, relatively inexpensive wearables, right? So whether that's in the form factor of a shirt, of uh, a band that you wear around your chest, mm -hmm. of a patch, of a wrist-worn device. So there are many different form factors, obviously. Um, I, I can see them going to the extent that you have conformable patches that, that are basically uh, printed electronics uh, that, that work in, in like, like a Band 8 more. Yeah. To your point, the issues there or the challenges there are still that you need to power them uh, and the batteries are bigger than the device or the, the patch itself then. Sure. Uh, and you need to get the data off them. So you need a radio, you need all that. This is becoming smaller. It's just not at the point yet where it, it's kind of the point of diminishing returns right now because once you add the battery to that patch, once you add the uh, the radio to that patch, you might as well stick it in a case, right? Mm -hmm. Right, right. Well, I particularly I liked a, a term that you used, and I want to relate it to this because I think no matter how small the device gets, there's an element of what you called emotional stickiness, mm. and that you have to have that that emotional drive to make things work. Uh, I can see you gave an example in your session about a baby monitor, a baby mother monitor, in fact, across the entire pregnancy spectrum and continuum. Uh, but maybe people don't want to know about their kidneys failing. Um, so there's, there's not that emotional drive. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's, it's in a way back to that relevance. And, and I think when when a topic has an emotional connection it becomes so much more relevant to you right and and you everybody who has kids cares about their kids right so this is a very emotional topic so for example some of the most successful examples in digital health are very simple things like um, sending uh, a snapshot of your uh, of your ultrasound of, of your of your unborn uh, to you on your cell phone right so because it's very emotional that that is why that gets so much adoption but, but other topics that are more, well, kidney failure, et cetera, it is emotional, but, but in, a, in a negative way, right? And, and what I would say there is you, you, you need to think about what makes a difference 
to you as a person, right? So again, talking about behavioral change. If I can give you an incentive to change your behavior for the better in a, in a, in a good, in a meaningful way, um, I, I'm always looking for the points that touch your emotions around that, right? And it might not be your disease specifically, but for example, if I can make the case that unless you change your behavior and you have kids, you might not see your kids graduating. That is actually an emotional trigger that uh, I've seen working very well. It's, it's a fear factor, but it ties your disease and what you do about your disease back to something that is highly emotionally charged for you. And the reason I wanted to mention that is because I think that device manufacturers, um, at least historically, have not made that emotional connection. It is, we need to record this, it's data for data's sake, it's, it's beautiful, it's got all the bells and whistles sure. on it, why wouldn't you love it, right? We, we actually, we have a whole discipline at uh, BCG Digital Ventures that, that specializes on that type of ethnographic research. So we drill extremely deep into understanding the personas. We, had, we try to understand the unmet needs. We try to understand the, the emotionally charged aspects around what these people do. And then we try to basically segment them in a way that we can truly understand the why, why they behave in certain ways. And then we try to build the solutions to address that why versus just the what. And, and, and that makes a big difference in, in I believe, how you, you will see adoption in, in that type of technology to really make it relevant, emotionally charged, understand the person to a level where you can really address that sometimes very invisible level, right? So that is not obvious. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Well, we may have some challenges ahead of us in bridging the gap between the promise and reality of digital health, but I think we can all see that there's some amazing things coming down the down uh, the line here. Can you share your prediction for the future of digital health? Uh, well, first of all, it's going to happen. As, as, <laughs> as, That's as, probably not an opinion. <laughs> as, as much as I might sound very, very skeptic here, because there are many challenges, but, but I do believe it's going to happen. And I do believe it is probably the biggest lever to make healthcare sustainable from a cost uh, access uh, perspective, right? Because we're, we're running out of space, we're running out of out of people, we're running out of out of money sure. to do it. And and digital health, I think, is the biggest lever. Uh, the way how it's going to happen, uh, that becomes a bit more fuzzy in my crystal ball. So I, I do think it's it's going to evolve around existing devices, i.e. smartphones, because they're, they're so ingrained in our day-to-day -day already. ubiquitous, you made that yeah. point. So uh, the, the other thing I, I would predict is that it's probably going to start, and that goes back to the follow the money piece we, we talked about, it's going to start within the incentives of the existing healthcare system. So I think it's, it's not going to be a, a direct to-consumer play uh, in the next two years that might take a little longer but I think the evolution of digital health is going to happen in the kind of business to business to consumer type space so that, that you have that intermediary of a provider or a payer who then brings technology to the patients because the payers and the providers own the patients in that sense right the med tech companies the pharma companies do not necessarily it's more indirect so I think I think it's it's going to be that kind of two-step approach to get to the patient or consumer right. and that will get the first uh, level of adoption the first wave of adoption and then once that uh, is there, I think we will also see a more consumer pull, direct-to-consumer type uh, adoption of digital health. Very neat. 
Well, we, we do want to thank you for being a part of the Amy podcast, Dr. Tromer. I really appreciate you being here at the Amy conference, working with Amy uh, to innovate and give us all new ideas and new perspectives. And uh, we wish you the best in the future. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks. And thank you to our listeners for joining us for this special episode of the Amy podcast from Amy 2015. For this episode of the Amy podcast, I'm Terry Baker. And I'm Kelly Hill. 